It's another evening under Lamplight podcast with Robert Louis Abrahamson as we are coming closer to the end of Dante's Purgatorio. There are 33 cantos and we're at canto 31 today, still attending to the intense moment of Beatrice's stern but loving welcoming of Dante here in the Garden of Eden. In the final part of the previous canto, Beatrice reviewed Dante's history of falling away from the heavenly joys she had been trying to lead him towards. She had, you'll remember, been speaking to the angels rather than directly to Dante. But now, at the start of this new canto, she turns directly to Dante. You there, you there over on the other side of the stream, confess it, confess that all I've been saying is true. Beatrice's list of Dante's failings was like being pierced with a sword. This need for public confession is like twisting the sword in his guts. Dante tries to speak but chokes on his voice. Come on, Beatrice says, it's time for you to speak up, now before your memories of sin are wiped away by the waters of Lethe. Finally, through confusion and fear, Dante lets out a, <laughs> lets out a very faint yes. Though, as he says, you could see the word coming out more than you could actually have heard it. He's broken as he utters this word and collapses in tears and sighs. That's not quite enough. What was it, Beatrice asks now, what was it that blocked off your way towards the highest good I was leading you towards? What lesser benefits did other things hold out to you that you had to go after them? This too is hard for Dante to answer, but he manages to confess that all those false pleasures lured him away as soon as he no longer beheld her face. It's good that you admitted this, Beatrice replies. Not that it wouldn't have been known already in the highest court, but having you confess your guilt makes the judgment go more easily. And just to help you resist any future temptation, let me add this, she says. When alive... My body was the loveliest that could be seen. It's now become dust in the ground. That's what happens to even the highest earthly beauty. Knowing that, how could you have found any other earthly beauty worth following after? You should have kept your desires fixed on me now that I was no longer part of earthly beauty, not on some pretty little thing that caught your eye. Dante, like a child ashamed of having done something wrong, stands there, his eyes cast to the ground. Beatrice again. Okay, you're ashamed, but now lift up your beard, you're no child now, and see the next thing that will add to your grief. With a great effort, feeling the sting of her remark, Dante manages to raise his head. He sees that the angels have stopped tossing up flowers as though waiting for what will come next. His eyes are not clearly focusing, but he can see that Beatrice is now turning towards that griffin in front of the chariot. She is looking even more beautiful now than when she was alive, just as when alive she looked more beautiful than any other lady. Just seeing this overpowering beauty stings Dante even further with remorse. How could he have abandoned such beauty? Overcome with this sense of his own failings, he falls down in a faint. C coming out of that fainting fit, he sees Matilda coming towards him, telling him to hold on to her tightly. And then she pulls him across the lethe water. 
Just before they reach the other bank, Dante can hear someone singing, Asperges me, wash me throughly from my wickedness, and cleanse me from my sin. It's so sweetly sung that Dante is now unable even to attempt to describe it. And then Matilda grasps Dante's head and, and pushes it under the water, causing him to gasp and, of course, take in a few gulps of water. And then he's out, now cleansed of the memory of his sins. Matilda now leads Dante over to the four cardinal virtues, those ladies we saw in the previous canto dancing by the left wheel of the chariot. Dante enters the middle of their dance, and they each raise an arm over Dante's head, perhaps now forming a cross. We are nymphs here, they sing, and we are stars in heaven. We have been ordained from the beginning to serve Beatrice. It's our task now to bring you to her so you can look into her eyes, but that's as far as we can go. You'll need our three sister virtues to be able to see the light in her eyes. And so they take Dante to the griffin, where Beatrice is standing, facing Dante. Now, look into her eyes, they tell Dante. Beatrice is looking at the griffin, not at Dante, and when he looks into her eyes, he sees the reflection of the griffin, which stirs a thousand burning desires in him. The griffin, that hybrid beast representing the twofold nature of Christ, divine and human, shifts in its appearance from one nature to the other. This vision both satisfies all the desires in Dante and arouses yet more desires. And now the three theological virtues, faith, hope, and charity, come up to Dante, still dancing in a ring. They address Beatrice, asking her to turn her eyes on to Dante, who's journeyed so far to see her. And also, could she uncover her face, so he can see the beauty of her mouth that, that is her smile? And the canto ends with a declaration that it would be impossible for even the most experienced poets to describe the heavenly beauty he sees in her unveiled face. The shape of the canto can be seen as the three steps of absolution, confession, contrition, and satisfaction. Dante's confession is, is feeble but effective, as he manages to squeak out that faint yes, acknowledging the truth of Beatrice's accusations against him. His subsequent contrition, being broken by sorrow for what he'd done wrong, comes when he feels how far he had strayed from the true divine beauty he should have kept before him. This leads to his fainting, a symbolic death, followed by his rebirth, absolved as he passes through the lethe water and is made to swallow some of the purifying water. He emerges from the river washed throughly, cleansed of guilt, restored to a state of primal innocence. And in this state he's now able to contemplate the dual Christ nature as seen through Beatrice's eyes, his preview of the heavenly beauty he'll be shown soon up above. And we watch a kind of ritual dance. Matilda leads Dante to the cardinal virtues, temperance, wisdom, fortitude, justice, and they lead him to Beatrice, whose eyes lead him to the vision of the griffin, and the three theological virtues lead him deeper into his contemplation of the divine beauty of Beatrice. This dance comprises a series of ritual movements, not random, all working together in a meaningful way. 
it's hard for us today to enter fully into the experience of a rich, meaningful ritual, but maybe thinking about this moment in the poem may help us open up further to whatever rituals we encounter in our lives. Or perhaps it will alert us to the absence of ritual in our lives, and thus to our impoverishment in our self-congratulatory but often very shallow culture. Beatrice argues that all earthly beauty, even her own superlative beauty, is doomed to pass away. Therefore, it cannot compare with heavenly beauty. And therefore, why get caught up by the siren calls of earthly beauty when you could be focused instead on the best, that is, heavenly beauty? But Dante, as he admits, did follow the lure of the siren songs. We can argue about which specific siren songs Dante followed, but the Divine Comedy is it's not a tell-all memoir. In any case, in any case, here in this podcast is not the place for further biographical investigations into Dante's life. Perhaps more important for us here is the application of these lines to our own life. In what way has a vision of the divine in human and human in divine inspired us to turn away from lesser attractions and keep our aim fixed there? We've talked in previous cantos about the need to direct our will, our desires, on the most worthy things, and on less worthy things only in appropriate ways. But now we come to the challenge of actually glimpsing the highest good and holding on to that as an anchor to keep us from straying. And so we have to come back to the question of who or what is our Beatrice, through whose eyes we have a vision of the union of divine and human. Maybe if we're affected strongly enough by these cantos, we can say that the Purgatorio is our Beatrice, showing us what there is to strive for and moving us with its wonder and beauty so that we resolve to seek that above all things. If so, well, what does this mean? Do we ask whether reading Dante leaves us afterwards, even for just a bit, walking around with a stronger inner sense of aiming for these higher things? Look, it's always worth examining ourselves after we put down a book or get up from a film or from listening to music. Examine ourselves to see how this work has worked on us and perhaps altered or reinforced our desires for the best or perhaps for unworthy things. But striving for the highest doesn't mean that we have to go around with solemn, pious attitudes all the time. We can see here, and we'll see further in the Paradiso, that these highest things are anything but pietistic or dull, nor do they deny the lesser beauty, only ensure that we keep that lesser beauty in its place as secondary. In fact, there would be something wrong if we turned our back on fine-looking people, or a glorious landscape, or, or a game of cards with friends. We just don't let these attractions deflect us as they did for Dante. In fact, they can become versions of Beatrice if we keep ourselves focused enough that we can see the griffin reflected in their eyes. That is, so that we can see the divine joy shining up through that good-looking person and the idyllic or sublime or melancholy landscape, and even shining through the friendly to and fro of the card game. All of these things fit well into this Eden moment. I'm interested in what the four virtues say to Dante. They tell Dante, or rather we're told they sing to Dante, 
that they are nymphs here in the woods, nymphs being mythical, supernatural beings inhabiting, among other places, the woodlands. But, they add, they also exist in the heavens as stars, the four stars we saw back in the first canto, shining brightly on Cato's forehead. They seem to have two natures like that griffin Christ. They are the handmaidens of Beatrice, that is, they accompany whoever or whatever is leading us up to the divine. As such, they can help us assess the validity of our Beatrice image. Does it promote these four virtues? Or perhaps there's something cowardly in our dependence on this image, or something rash, or immoderate. And if so, we know that these virtues are absent, and maybe it's a siren image we're following, not a Beatrice image. Here's a little example. Suppose I am walking along a coastal path and suddenly come upon a view that takes my breath away, as, as Dante is experiencing at the end of this canto. There's the sea spread out before me, and the hillside on my right with wild flowers on its bank, and the sun now low in the sky, casting a mellow light over it all. It's a Beatrice moment, I say. It's a moment that reveals heavenly glory raising me above this world. But suppose I take out my phone and start taking pictures, thus backing away from the actual experience of the scene. Is this a kind of betrayal of courage, fortitude, retreating in fear of the power of this engagement? A betrayal of wisdom in this petty attempt to capture the glory in a photograph? Or even a betrayal of temperance by exerting too much effort in trying to record the scene rather than just be with it? If so, if we have betrayed these cardinal virtues, we've falsified this Beatrice. It's not a true Beatrice moment. You can see then how these cardinal virtues, or the lack of them, can help test the genuineness of this moment. Beatrice or Siren Song. And what do we make of the griffin, this two-in-one image? It expresses a perfectly orthodox part of Catholic dogma that Christ, as the technical language goes, is one person in two natures, the hypostatic union. Like some, ne <laughs> like some neon sign, flashing now one message, now another, then back to the first, the griffin, as seen in Beatrice's eyes, is seen as first one nature, divine, and then the other, human. But even with the help of the three virtues, Dante doesn't seem able to take the next step and see the one person in these two natures. This much more intricate and deep vision has to wait until much further along in the journey, in fact, until the end of the Paradiso. I suppose we might say that we can have glimpses of this jewel-faceted griffin when we look with open attention at some person or object or experience and can perceive both its natural aspect, the person's looks, voice, even clothing, the texture and color of an object, the concrete events of the experience, and then see flashes of the divine the inner loveliness of the person, or the wondrous features of the object, its nuanced colors, varied texture, or whatever, or the sparkle and graceful feeling associated, perhaps only in retrospect, with that experience. This interplay between the divine and the natural is that exalted state that in Sanskrit is called lila, 
the dance of the uncreated and the created, the divine and the earthly, back and forth, mindful of both. Dante says this dance is so exquisite that no poet can do it justice. The best they can do, as T.S. Eliot says, is to give us hints and guesses. Hints and guesses on the part of the poet, and also on the part of us, the readers, and, and then us as we turn from the reading and bring it with us back into the daily world. And we're told, and some of us have experienced, that when we enter this dance, our Beatrice unveils her face, and we see her loving smile revealed, a smile that was always there during that whole ordeal of painful accusation and stern words. It was all done out of love. Th these are only words, all this that I'm saying about the canto, but words that hint and guess at a truth Dante has perceived and experienced and offers to us in turn to perceive and experience. <laughs> Why else give us the poem? There's more to this pageant, though, more complex allegory, which we'll see about in the next canto. I'll meet you there.